Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Esmond Kane, Chief Information Security Officer with Steward Healthcare. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. Esmond, thanks for joining me. No problem, Anthony. Thank you for the invitation. I look forward to our conversation. Very good. Esmond, can you start off by telling me a little bit about your organization and your role? So I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for a multinational healthcare delivery organization called Steward Healthcare. Uh, we're in uh, nine states domestically in the U.S. We're in four countries internationally. There's there's about uh, 40 or so hospitals nationally, and then about 10 hospitals and clinics internationally. It's it's big. It's big, yes. It definitely sounds big. Can you tell me a little bit about your uh, career path, how you wound up uh, in healthcare, in security, that type of thing? That's an interesting question. Um so I started down the the IT track. I was a uh, a geek, for lack of a better expression, in the west coast of Ireland. It wasn't necessarily known for some of its technical aptitude, and I certainly found it uh, very limiting. So uh, when I I made my way to the big cities for for college and co, you know, I, I started to really find my feet for in a technical aspect and gravitated towards IT professions, had my own stint as a uh, as an entrepreneur. And then I kind of fell into working uh, in the States, um, kind of fell into that path that a lot of other IT practitioners do, working their way up from the help desk, desktop, uh, you know, networking, uh, and then into a management role. And then there about, about 10 or 15 years ago, um, closer to 15, uh, I was very lucky to be headhunted by the then CISO for Harvard University where I was working. And he was he was very appreciative of the program I had built in, in one of the, the divisions in Harvard. And he said, listen, uh, I want you to come do that for me and do it for all the rest of the school. So um, it, I made a, 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 I sat down with, with my wife. Um, I had a young family at the time and I made the decision to kind of take a pivot and a step down and uh, specialize in, in security. It was, it was a, uh, then rapidly maturing discipline. It was starting to become much more professional. Um, it didn't really exist out of a lot of industries outside of uh, the financial sector. And certainly as, as, a, as a discipline, uh, it hadn't really codified um, really um, outside of the military circles and the intelligence circles. So I made that. And, and you know, 15 years later, I've been working my way up through the ranks from a security perspective. And now I'm, I'm leading a program for a healthcare organization. And uh, it's it's been really exciting. Continues to be a challenging discipline, and if anybody is is looking at cybersecurity, uh, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn and such. And uh, I love mentoring and coaching, and, and I'd love to help shape uh, your career and provide what guidance I can. Did I miss the transition into healthcare specifically? What was your first healthcare role? Um, so I, I have worked very, I'm based in Boston, Massachusetts. So it is a hotbed of, of academia and, uh, and healthcare. And at some point, most IT and, and security professionals will probably work in those industries in Boston. So I actually started in uh, Beth Israel in the late nineties, uh, which then became Beth Israel Deaconess and Care Group. And, and now it's, it's Leahy Health as well. And uh, the last 10 years, I've been in um, uh, Mass General Brigham and now Stewart Health. Um, I find and I gravitate, Anthony, towards um, 
industries where I, I can align my mission. I find it great and very rewarding to, to have the perception of giving back, to, to benefit uh, knowledge. Uh, in healthcare, it's, it's even more rewarding. You get to help people on the worst days of their life, and hopefully you're able to turn that around and make it some of the best days of their life. They, they get to ring that bell, for instance. Um, it's something that I find very rewarding, and, and from a healthcare perspective, I encourage anybody who is mission-driven, uh, there is no better mission, really, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen uh, some LinkedIn posts from uh, people in healthcare that are trying to get talent, sort of reaching out to some of those who have been laid off, uh, you know, the mass Twitter layoffs and and uh, Facebook layoffs. There's a lot of layoffs going on in tech. Uh, and she appealed to, she, she even, I think it was a, a female, she even said, you're not going to make as much money, but you can be connected to a great mission. Um, so that's that's part of what it has to be, right? To get to good IT talent, you need them to want to be connected to that mission. Are there ways you go about it, especially in the remote world we're living in? I've heard people say it, it's important to keep them connected. I don't know if that involves bringing them in. We don't know when even know where in is anymore, especially if IT was across the street from the hospital, then in wasn't even in. You still had to go round. So what are your thoughts on keeping folks connected to the mission? I, I think I, I certainly try and find for, um, I don't know if it's me biased, or my bias or, or me projecting, but I certainly do look for professionals um, that, that think different, that, that have diverse backgrounds. Um, I never really rule out a, a candidate based upon some certificate or things of that nature. I'm always looking for good candidates and you never know where you find them. Um, and part of that, to your point, Anthony, is is there there's some just soft skills and core requirements that I think are, are necessary to be successful in security, like curiosity, like mm. perseverance. Um, those are very hard skills to try and instill or teach. You can certainly mentor, but they take years and decades to acquire versus some of the hard skills associated with, you know, um, you know a technical requirement or something you can boot camp. So, you know, aligning with people that have that, that that approach where you know that they will learn continually, um, that they will you know, knuckle down and, and commit to, to the effort, and that they will find um, value in what it is we do uh, as, a, as a profession, as an industry, um, you, you know, COVID has, has been brutal on every industry um but unlike most industries um we've had to actually work very closely with professionals clinicians and and doctors and nurses who were putting their own health at risk and and uh, the the unfortunate fact of life is not only did we did the entire global economy uh take a hit and there was millions of people that that have 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 unfortunately passed away, but the, the sad fact of life in healthcare, some of those include some professionals that we're trying to help. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the caliber of professional you work with, the clinician, I, I find very rewarding. Uh, they, they force you to excel. Um, mm -hmm. You want to help them. And I certainly find it very, very rewarding when, um, when you're trying to educate, when you're trying to um, instill some of these controls that, that unfortunately, 
the, the bad guys are also trying to attack. You know, the, the, the core skill to be successful in, in healthcare, I tend to, to be is, is identifying as empathy, right? But that's also the very target of, of some of these unscrupulous um, threat actors where they're, they're trying to exploit uh, people who are in healthcare who are trying to find out about COVID or trying to find out about various uh, issues and what are the bad guys doing? They're, they're sending them phishing emails. They're, they're planting fake COVID trackers. They're, um, at this point, there's two to three healthcare organizations falling victim to ransomware on, on a daily basis. And um, you do tend to have to exercise some creativity and innovation. And, and those are also some of the other soft skills I look for, Anthony, when, when I'm, I'm uh, looking at candidates and engaging. Uh, I'm certainly not of, of the, the, the mindset that you know, I'm expecting somebody to have 10 years of experience to work on a help desk or uh, the, some of the insane requirements that come out of, of Silicon Valley. That That's not what I do. I'm, I'm looking for people that have those core soft skills and um, and hopefully I will train them up and, and hopefully they will find a, a long-lived career in, in healthcare or cybersecurity. So you, you mentioned a few words there in terms of looking for the right talent curiosity, perseverance, creativity, and innovation, not so focused on certifications, although I'm sure they're nice to have. They're not They're not going to get you over the line, as it were, over the finish line, um, just in and of themselves. Those qualities, do you think the interview is the key point at which you will uh, be looking to pick that up? Um, and and is it sort of come down to a certain enthusiasm they're bringing to the table? And if you don't feel it, you, you're you just not going to really want that individual on your team, no matter how technically skilled they may be? It's a good question. Um, by the time most uh, cybersecurity executives are interviewing a candidate, they've already been through a level of HR screening, which... Um, which I've had mixed opinions on. You know, a lot of, of uh, automated tools are just scraping for keywords and buzzwords, and, and a lot of HR screening are, are just trying to screen out overly mercenary candidates or, or things of that nature. There is value. I'm not going to dismiss it. But it doesn't necessarily put candidates in front of you that that certainly I am 100% confident can be successful in the role. So I, I tend to follow more of a behavioral interviewing role, and, and I'm asking questions that that may seem um, inadvertent or, or may seem uh, you know misdirected, but really what I'm looking for is, is to gauge how somebody's thinking on their feet, mm. you know, how they exercised uh, some of these core skills that I'm looking for, and some of that isn't necessarily the professions they've been in. Some of it it's it's how they've chosen to to exercise extracurricular uh, pursuits. Sometimes it's it's just their hobbies. It's it's that kind of enthusiasm that they they're able to bring to the table. Um, you know, the bad guys are coming against healthcare hard, right? And and that stamina, that perseverance to to learn from your failures and, and make sure that you can do it better next time. Um, th- those are things that, that I certainly look for. And, and I will ask questions that are uh, trying to drive to the intent of a house. What motivates somebody? Mm-hmm. You know, what makes them think? You know, if they're, uh, if they're presented with a, a, a problem space, that they've never seen before, mm-hmm. how they're going to uh, sink or swim, right? And um, the, the the answer for the record of, of that is it's perfectly acceptable to Google answers, right? I'm, I'm not looking for someone to, to have like a, an extensive 
body of knowledge necessarily. I, I want someone to know how they can work through a decision tree and, and mm-hmm. limit the impossibles. Um, I sometimes describe that as, as I'm a big fan of finding Watson's, Anthony. You know, I want somebody that does a solid day's work that will persevere, that will more frequently find those abnormalities. Um, sometimes in, in healthcare, uh, be, because it's it's not as financially incented as in other industries, um, you know, it can be challenging to work with, let's say, more of the Sherlock's of the world who are expecting vast compensation, which I can't necessarily do. There, there isn't necessarily going to be bonuses or incentives or stock options, right? So, uh, you know, I'm looking at other motivating factors for these candidates. Right. And, and I mean, as people are working from home, uh, they're not isolated, but there, there is some degree of, of isolation there. You need someone who can work a problem, as you mentioned it, who doesn't need to be in, you know, in an old school kind of imagery, knocking on your door every five minutes. You know, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Like people are more off on their own. You need someone who can, again, work a problem and uh, really want to solve it, not just want to check a box that I tried to solve it. Right. There's a difference there. I would agree. Um I mean, I, I do think that that somebody can that can work independently, uh, they can be successful in some of those roles. But by that same measure, there's also people who work well collaboratively, who who will work through a problem. Um, you know, I think solving for for the unknown, you know, answering the great uncertainty, which is a huge element of of cybersecurity, is is a challenge. And and you know, it's not some Hollywoodized one where somebody's looking at a, at a screen full of gibberish, going, "That's it, Eureka, we got it." <laughs> You know, it, it's they're working through data and and they're they're ruling out uh, what isn't feasible, and then they're getting to whatever's left or whatever improbable. You know that that's really what I'm looking for, and, and there's also an element of this which is is I want people to understand probability because the pace of change sometimes of the threat actors are coming at us. You may never get to 100% certainty, right? It, you know, there's certainly an appetite to think in absolutes. But, you know, the, the rate of change of the threat actors, the, the, the kind of pace at which we need to operate is, is you need to be comfortable sometimes uh, extrapolating and saying it's more likely this than not that. So let's work from that and, and then kind of um, see where it takes us. Um, but by that same measure, you don't want somebody who's going to doggedly exhaust every single thing at some point you do want to see them acquire some uh, some gush some some instinct hmm. um so i'm kind of contradicting what i said earlier but those are kinds of uh, certainly what we look for yeah you know? well i i don't think you're contradicting yourself i think it's it's the gray area it's the balance it's that combination of skills it's knowing when enough is enough it's knowing you know you talk about probability probability is risk right it's the same thing your whole world of security the CISO's world is based on risk, right? Because nothing's 100%. So, and from what I understand, all the conversations I've had, it's communicate. One of your most important roles is communicating the level of risk to people who are going to make the decisions about whether or not they want to accept the risk you, as you have described it. Here is the risk overall in any particular area. Here's the risk. And then I suppose there could be scenarios for here's what I can do to reduce this risk. If you're uncomfortable, I need to hire more people or I need more money. I need to buy more software or we need to change a process 
or this or that. Um, but tell me your thoughts. Is that kind of the role? Is Because people have told me we're the chief risk officer. Yeah, I mean, I would wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think there's there's so much of what you just mentioned that we could probably spend hours talking about. But, you know, just focusing on, on, on the, the core role there of being a trusted advisor, uh, of giving good information and communicating and interpreting this, this massive ream of jargon and then trying to put it in front of a business lead and then aligning your program to those business needs. I mean, that's, that's so important. You, you'd also talked about the, the, the appetite there to quantify, right? Um, to, to get to determinations. You, you have to understand, certainly my expectation is that your, your goal is not to eliminate risk. That's not possible, right? Business uh, growing, uh, just the, the journey and, and kind of the avenues we're working with, the internet in particular, are fraught with risk, right? So your goal is to make sure that you can grow the business securely, right? That you can bake in some of these core decision-making skills so that your business leaders um, have confidence that they can absorb risk, but that they can manage it appropriately. That's that's your role. I do see sometimes um, some of my peers in, in both healthcare and other industries are on an evolution to become chief trust officers. Above and beyond those chief risk officers who are looking at like clinical, financial, cyber, um, there's a huge element of, of patient safety and, and patient assurance there, right? Um, with so many healthcare organizations falling prey to these unscrupulous adversaries, um, you know, it, it, you need to be comfortable stating to your leads that it's, it's practical, pragmatic. It's these threats will happen and we will do our best to overcome them. It, you know, it's it's our journey to be becoming a resilient organization. Um, Andy Ellis, uh, formerly Akamai, has a great analogy, which I tend to use, um, which is that cybersecurity leaders are unlikely to be the main character in the story, right? And the main character in a healthcare space is probably the doctors or, or the patients, so it's your job as a cybersecurity lead to, to be the, the sidekick, right? And it is your job to be the best sidekick you can be. It's it's an analogy that I take to heart. And, uh, you know, I thank uh, Andy for, for the analogy. Um, communicating risk to a business leader. Um, what are your thoughts around that? Um, you know, I, I wonder if there's a concern. I'm sure there's a concern sometimes, you know, when they say uh, there's marriage counseling, you say something and the other person is supposed to repeat what they think you meant or what, what they think you said to make sure people are understanding each other. And I wonder if it's that kind of thing where the CISO says to the CEO, now, here's what I'm telling you about the risk level. Now, repeat back to me what I said so I know you understand it. Um, and obviously the CISO has to speak the CEO's language, not the other way around. Uh, but, but, uh, what are your thoughts on making sure after you leave that meeting, so to speak, or that board meeting that they understood the level of risk that you were trying to communicate? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> it's a good one. And thank you for sharing your journey with Marge. There. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not there. We're not there yet, but uh, we could be. <laughs> would be very Listen, therapy is, is a great analogy for some of what we do, right? Um, you know, your, your role when you're advising business leads is, is to make sure that they're 
they're making good decisions. They're choosing effective strategies uh, mm-hmm. that they that you are confirming and validating uh, the the valid, and you're making sure that you don't validate the invalid. That tends to create a toxic scenario. So, I do think therapy is is a ripe analogy. Uh, sometimes I, I think when we think of cybersecurity, it's it's in terms of conflict and combat, and you know sometimes that can create its own ethic where everything is a battle. When is it not? And and there is an analogy sometimes that we have to get cybersecurity right 100% of the time, and the bad guys only have to get it right once. Mm-hmm. That that's a recipe for self destruction. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, because you're not going to get it right 100% of the time, and if that's what you're communicating to your leads. You, you know, you're going to have an uncomfortable conversation when they they turn around to you and say, we spent X on Y and you didn't see A, B and C coming. Right. That's that's kind of some of the conversation. But to to kind of reverse course and go back to your conversation about dialogue with, with boards and, and putting reports in front of them. Um, I think it's good to know your board. Uh, cyber skills are guaranteed on a lot of boards. Um so some of that is is you do tend to uh, focus on on you know executive charisma. You do tend to try and provide assurance, and then you try and provide a high level kind of view, which which the layperson can absorb. But then you want to be able to speak to all of the data. So so you need, do need to have a quite large and extensive appendix in some of these board decks on occasion. You know, traffic light protocols tend to be used quite a lot, um, mm-hmm, more than right. anything. I tend to find when you, know, you talk to a board member, the simple question will, you know, or indeed a senior leader, you know, what do you see as our risks? And, you know, you, I, I can be quite surprised sometimes on, on what people see as risks. Uh, some of them are are, are very uh, acute when it comes to cybersecurity, and some of them are just taking a different direction, which which can be quite fascinating. Um, but you, you should have that regular cadence, and you should make yourself available for board members and security leads, if the only time they see you is when you're reporting out on, on an incident or, or mm. a, a, you know, a bad event, you're the department of, oops, no, uh, right? That That's not a, a role to be in. You know, to, to use the, the the therapeutic analogy again, there's, there's disciplines where you're invited to say yes, right? There's entire movies based upon the concept of saying yes. So this journey of security is, is how you can empower and incent and you know, the compliance efforts, the, the security efforts, the incidents, the, the kind of dialogue becomes how, how how do you turn those into speed bumps, not roadblocks, right? Mm-hmm. How do you not have to you know, all of a sudden reverse course and, and travel down a different route? And it really depends on the caliber of the board member, the caliber of, of the um, uh, senior leader that you're, you're talking to. Certainly establish regular cadence, um, establish metrics, and then almost immediately present them in, in a, a layperson analogy. Uh, it can also be helpful for the record, Anthony, to, to look at what other leaders are having success with within the board. And for, for instance, in the healthcare space, if there's a clinical dashboard that the board is accustomed to seeing or a hospital management dashboard, uh, well, you, you've just got a template for, for how you should be presenting security. It's it's a framework they can understand. I, I will also state in, in closing that... Um, I mentioned how cybersecurity skills aren't necessarily uh, the status quo in most boards and, and senior leadership. So I, I do think there's value in that kind of cyber risk 101 conversation mm. coaching session. Hit them where it hurts. Uh, hit them self-interest. 
what executive protection looks like, how they can sanitize their own media, how they can uh, look after their own family, choose good passwords, password managers, MFA, you know, so so if you can appeal to their self-interest um, um, and then talk about how that uh, extends to uh, your corporation, um, I, I sometimes joke with my leaders that I, I should become the, the chief door officer because I use analogies around doors and and locks and, and basement windows and, and things of that nature quite a lot. And how about the uh, analogy you mentioned, which to me, as a, a lay person, as it were, would be the simplest one, the traffic light, the red, yellow, green in terms of conveying risk, right? I would, if I was some sort of executive, I would think it'd be very easy for me to look at a report and say, okay, I don't want to see any red. Right. If I see red, that's a problem that needs to be addressed. Show me yellow, show me green, try and get the yellows to green. The reds have to go. Uh, is there some of that that when you're conveying risk to business people where it's that simple in terms of the methodology you're using? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you're, you're talking there to kind of tertiary analytics or, or kind of um, meaningful metrics. Um, you know, you're, you're going above and beyond like here's how many fishes we stopped here, how many fishes got through. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking about like you know susceptibility to potential ransomware. Uh, you're getting into kind of maturity uh, from an educational perspective. Um, you know, so yes, absolutely, you can do that. But by that same measure, you need to be able to speak to the facts. You need to be able to stand behind your data before you're going to dump something down to a red indicator. You better have strong metrics behind it. No, and that's what you mentioned. So somebody like me might look at that page, first page and say, oh, okay, I like that. It's green. I'm good. But you may have other board members that want that second and third level. And you mentioned the appendix and the data. You might get someone to dig down to that third and fourth level. And, and as someone responding to the board, when you get that board member that's at that granular level, you have to be able to answer every question and all the data has got to be tight and and they can't be pointing out any discrepancies in your data, right? Well, so the other aspect of, of both threat and risk there is is it's not a, a stateful or a static event, right? Mm -hmm. So usually a lot of boards that I talk to, they're interested in the trend over time, right? So they're interested in, uh, you know, a spark line or they're interested in kind of like a maturity curve uh, that, uh, or even a Harvey ball or something of that nature. And they're also looking at peer level benchmarks. So it's like, okay, well, what do we need to do to get to the next step? What do we do, need to do to, to level up, right? And when we do level up, what does it mean that our capabilities are, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the sad fact of life is, is the ransomware actors are also innovating, right? Um, so there's a couple of core things you include in every deck. It's, it's kind of like, here's where we are. Uh, here's where the industry is. Here, here's like some of the, the headline grabbing uh, incidents that, that everyone's aware of. It's good to include data on the regulatory exposure as well. Uh, there's lots of things happening happening at federal space. Tends to be slow, but uh, things are certainly heating up. Um, things like um, the Patch Act and medical mm -hmm. devices are really starting to garner some attention uh, in Washington, which is exciting. The White House executive orders are, are really exciting, and that's even before you get to things like GDPR or, or you know some of the Canadian privacy and other kinds of ones. So. Um, you also need to add to those metrics. Well, what do you need to do to get to it? You know, heat maps, I have a love-hate relationship with them 
because there's a perception that if you spend more money, uh, sometimes you're eliminating the, the risk, which in my my experience isn't necessarily the case. There's there's a story there that you need to tell. Um, but as with all stories, you want to make sure that it's uh, uh, it, it resonates with the audience who are listening. If you're going to sit there and just bore them to death, um, you know, especially on a virtual or, or Zoom call with a board, you're, you're going to hear somebody snoozing pretty quickly, right? Or uh, snoring, or, or worse again, you know, God forbid, you get a uh, a toilet flush, I and mean, you have failed when you're reporting out to the board. <laughs> what about just cut off, like Esmond? Would thank you. <laughs> yeah 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 there, there, there's a, a tactic you tend to do in most board meetings where you say okay that's interesting let's noodle on that one and then you turn around and say um because you know you've got a, a large deck to get through it's like let, let's come back to that i'll schedule sometimes there, there's a couple of of core uh, mechanisms you can use yeah. board members are very much uh, aware of them but you know most boards are interested in asking good questions and being confident that there is reasoned analysis and, and that there's a plan uh, to answer some of those questions. So, um, you know, I tend to to find that different boards, they operate differently, but a lot of them are doing the same thing. They want to know, if, can they trust you? They, they want to know if there's exposure. Uh, they want to know if, if the business can continue in its current route or, or needs needs to change. All right, we have time for about one more question. I would be remiss if I didn't ask this sort of open-ended question to get your thoughts. What what would you say is the most important trend that you're seeing that healthcare CISOs should be following and preparing their organizations to deal with? What's the number one thing you're looking at? Okay, let me think about that. The number one most important trend. I mean, existentially, it's it's ransomware. Um mm. I worry a lot about this exodus from Silicon Valley, creating a, a right talent pool for the threat actors to to kind of tie into. And now you've you've gone beyond the industrial age into kind of the hyperspeed uh, a lightsaber age for for some of these threat actors. Um, there, there's increasing regulation. Um, uh, there, there's, there's definitely an appetite uh, at, at the federal level to kind of encourage healthcare to do more. Um, I mean, thinking about those two things, if there's one thing I'm tracking right now, it is that uh, you are communicating effectively, that you're not misstating the, the, the threat landscape, and that you're, you're, you have uh, certainly, if you look at like Joe Sullivan or our Mudge. Um, probably the number one thing I'm looking at here is to make sure that I'm, I'm sticking to my values, that I'm, I'm communicating effectively, um, that I'm being pragmatic on the risks. And, um, you know, as a CISO, that the profession is, is changing. And I want to make sure that I'm creating an environment for my team to be successful, that I'm creating programs that are based in reality, not delusions of control. Um, you know, I love that. that. That's probably the number one thing I'm tracking right now that uh, I'm continually looking at myself in the mirror and going, uh, are you providing value? Right. And um, it's, it's to, back, to go back to your therapy analogy. It's, it's that kind of like uh, self-check. It's yeah. that radical acceptance where you're saying I could have done this better or we need to start thinking about this. It's, it's, 
it's that kind of feedback loop. If there's anything I'm tracking right now, that's that's it's more internal than than necessarily external. So fascinating that you mentioned the um, the folks being laid off from Silicon Valley could be poached by the bad guys. That never crossed my mind. So that's that's really interesting. Um, one more quick follow up, and I'll let you go. You mentioned sticking to my values. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that. I think one one of the hard things to do in, in, in security is is you're going to get continually distracted uh, by uh, you know the, the threats. It's it's far too easy to 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 enter analysis paralysis. It's far too easy to think that some the latest and greatest software software solution is going to solve the problem for you. Um, my, my values, the, the programs that I build, are, are based upon you know doing the right thing. You know, minimizing regret. You're making sure that what you're doing is future-proof, uh, but it's also based about being an authentic leader. It's uh, you know, cut the BS. It's it's having those honest conversations. It's it's with your staff and with with your leadership. Really, uh, that to me are, are core values that, that I learned at, at my mom and dad's knees. And the the other thing I'll mention very quickly, Anthony is. Is my dad emigrated to the U.S. when he was sixty? Um, so uh, you know, I have massive amount of, of respect and honor for for the U.S. to recognize that someone of that age could continue to contribute mm-hmm. as he did, and and he worked his ass off. And and you know I, I followed in his in his steps, and um, you, you know I continued to do what he he taught me, which was to work damn hard, and um, you know. As Dan Gear says, abide by your handshake, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's excellent. You you mentioned minimizing regret. That's uh, based my whole life on that, <laughs> good or bad. I try and live my life to minimize regret. So uh, wonderful interview, Esmond. Truly uh, uh, learning from your parents, knee at the on the west coast of Ireland. Um, a beautiful talk, and I think our our readers and listeners are going to appreciate it. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.